Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Well, it is Thanksgiving this week, and that is in the United States. So it's American Thanksgiving, not Canadian Thanksgiving. That falls at a different point. And so for this week's podcast, I'm actually going to post a expanding your business internationally talk that I had with some people. We discussed some of the, why should you do it? Why should you go international? And then challenges and mistakes that you see, and then some best practices and networks. And there were some really good questions. So on the call with me, you'll hear Bill Kenny, who owns Meet, and he founded Softland Partners, which is a group of people from around the world that help companies expand into and out of different countries. And two other people that I met through Softland Partners. It's Nina Ann Walters of Expandia. She works on strategy and operations on helping companies expand. Dave Rocchio, who's an IP and patent lawyer at Lando and Anastasi. And then me, yours truly, Wendy Pease, talking about translation, globalization, and localization. So the conversation was really interesting. Bill does a wonderful job of moderating and asking questions and pulling the audience in and making sure that we're all talking about the areas that we know. Some things that I learned is that Israel is the number one country on exporting first with companies because the country is so small and the business opportunity is small. They think global from the start. And then Nina also talks about the EU and how so many countries, if they want to expand, have to go across border. And so I thought that was really interesting. And then she gets into how you have to price differently in the countries. And so I, I thought that was fascinating. And then somebody asked, what's the difference between internationalization and globalization? So we had an interesting discussion around that. And we also talked about the global readiness checklist that Softland Partners has launched just today. So if you're a company and you want to go global, this is a checklist that you can look at and see where you are and what areas you might have to beef up on. So we'll put those in the show notes. I I just really enjoy working with the international crowd. The people that we had on and listening come from all sorts of different walks in life and had some other interesting questions that we get into. So I thought I'd put that up there today so you could hear from experts Uh, about the different areas. If you have any thoughts, feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to answer them. And also just a reminder that if you have experience in global marketing and you want to be a guest on the show, we have a link. If you search global marketing show podcast, it'll bring you to our website. We have an application form that you can certainly submit if you'd like to bring your expertise. We're always looking for somebody who has a little something to share. So without further of my blabbing on and talking, let's go ahead and key up the webinar and talk between the experts. Enjoy. 
My name is Bill Kenny, and I am the founder of a company called Meet, and I also run an organization called Softland Partners, which is where I've met these uh, three wonderful panelists that we're uh, going to enjoy today. And the conversation we're going to talk about is expanding uh, your business internationally. And this is something, you know, just to frame this conversation a bit, it's, you know, when each of us comes at this from, from different perspective, uh, perspective, some of us possibly are helping companies leave a country and expand to other places, more on the sort of export and, and trade side. And then others are receiving those companies and helping them sort of be successful in a specific uh, region or area, and maybe more on the investment or on, on sort of the soft landing side. And so uh, today we're going to really talk probably about both sides of that and, and get a good perspective in terms of the both where companies are challenged, what are some examples of success and best practices, and and then finally we'll talk about you know how to how to really make this this all work well and and maybe some tools that companies can use as well. So what I'd like to do is ask each of our three panelists to introduce themselves. We have Nina, Wendy, and David. So if we could, Nina, if you want to give a 30 or 60 second introduction on Expandize and what you do. Sure. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm Nina. I'm the managing director and founder of Expandize. We're an internationalization consultancy based in Berlin, Germany, and London, England. Uh, so the other side of the pond from a lot of you. We've helped companies to expand into over 50 countries worldwide, focusing on the strategic and operational parts of expansion. So we help companies decide what markets are interesting for them, provide advice on localization, and then offer interim management services to help them actually take that leap and put the first boots on the ground in a new market. Brilliant. Thanks, Nina. And Wendy, do you want to tell us about uh, Rapport International and what you do? Sure. So Rapport International, we help people expand into other countries or even market in their home countries across different languages and cultures. We focus on real high quality, culturally adapted communication. So we don't use Google Translate. We don't use machine translation. We're really using a human to make sure your message is communicated accurately. We provide services in over 200 languages and have helped people communicate. We've got a specialty in global marketing. I published a book this past year on global marketing. I host the Global Marketing Show podcast where a lot of exporters and internationalists and globalists are interviewed so you can hear about their experiences, which has been a ton of fun. So happy to be here. Thank you so much, Wendy. Appreciate it. And Dave, do you want to tell us about Lando and Anastasi? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bill. Thanks to all the panelists. Thanks, Bill, for kind of hosting the discussion. I really appreciate it. So my name is Dave Rocchio. I'm a partner at Lando and Anastasi. We're an intellectual property boutique law firm in Boston. We help clients really of all shapes, sizes, locations, protect their intellectual property. And what we mean by intellectual property traditionally is patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets. Really, we help clients kind of formulate a strategy for protecting those innovations and ideas and concepts, and then implement that strategy. We work quite closely with domestic companies in the U.S., but also work often with companies, U.S. companies looking to expand abroad and also foreign companies looking to enter the U.S. market. So we have generated quite a bit of experience, not only on IP, 
but with with companies as they look to expand. And I think, you know, and unfortunately, some we, we see quite a bit where companies kind of stumble or where companies make not the great best decisions at the early stages that impact them down the line. So I'm looking forward to kind of talk about those things and flush them out so we can hopefully avoid such situations with other companies or people looking to expand. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask probably some pretty straightforward and simple questions. And again, I want to uh, uh, really encourage our audience to uh, think of your questions and you know jot them down as we go here. And we'll definitely have a good time at the end to, to ask them. So we want to make sure that that's activated. I know and I, there is one rule I gave our panelists before we start, and, and that it's really simple. It's this, the third person to answer any question buys the beer. So uh, I want our, our audience to be aware of that as well. So I'll, if we need to, a, a third opinion, you may hear me reframe a question to, to, to sort of move things along. But the goal really is to, is to get to some, some meat here in, in this topic. So um, the, the first question is really around why expand? And Wendy, I know you had some particular interesting statistics around that. And I thought that would kind of launch us into this topic well, and then certainly we'll get uh, some additional perspective on this. But do you want to share some of the statistics you shared the other day in terms of why companies should expand? And this is particularly, I think, from a U.S. perspective, but obviously there's many more perspectives to have. But Wendy, do you want to share those? Yes. And the statistics are from the department of the U.S. government, Department of Commerce. And what they have found is that less than 1% of U.S. companies export. And of those, 98% of them are small and mid-sized companies. And relative to their competitors who don't export, those companies that do have uh, higher revenues, higher profits, they pay higher salaries, they have higher valuations, and they're more stable companies. And the reason for that is if one market is down, another market can be up. So it's a natural way to level out the, you know, the ups and downs of natural business cycles. So it's kind of a no-brainer that no matter what size you are, it's good to start thinking about it from the start. It totally makes sense. And yeah, and those statistics, I think, really kind of launch us very well into kind of the why. But Nina, do you have uh, any uh, thoughts or anything to add or, or Dave uh, to why expand? Sure. I mean, that diversification side is, is definitely important, but certainly in Europe, you tend to have to in order to want to grow. So a lot of the markets um, in Europe, depending where you're based, aren't necessarily big enough to really have a growing or large enough sustainable business for your business model. So I think Israel is one of the countries that tends to export or goes international the quickest, simply because the Israeli market itself is so small. So that means that right from the start, they're thinking about expansion and internationalization and how to build something for a global market. And that means they're generally very successful, composed as opposed to other companies where, which are in the US, for example, and have a much larger market to begin with, where then that expansion part is less of a priority for, you know, many more years. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I hate to ask you to buy a beer, Dave, so I better reframe this. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Go ahead. I guess from, a, a, from your experience, what are you seeing uh, in terms of why companies, why it's important to expand? Yeah, no, uh, you know, and I think Nina has uh, 
touched on a really important point, not to go back to what she said, but you know, the expansion can be important, it can be valuable, it can be uh, rewarding for all these companies, but coming from an IP or you know, patents, trademarks, protecting yourself, making sure you have success moving forward and somebody can't take what you're doing and there's nothing you can do about it, kind of having that plan up front and, you know, I think this is going to be a common theme from the intellectual property and patent side is coming back is think about these, you know, some of these considerations early on, make decisions that fit your company and fit your business and plan for the future. Because as Nina said, you know, you can be having great success in your local and home market, but if you haven't set yourself up for make for decisions that you can have, if you go to Europe or if you go in any other country, you could really be shooting yourself in the foot where you don't have those options that you thought you had. So it's early to think about thing, those things often. It's early to think about where, you know, where you want to be, where your competitors are, where your customers are. And it's really taking a, a global holistic view of your company and how you see yourself fitting into, you know, the economy of the world, the economy of, of your market and, you know, making decisions that are appropriate for your company, because, you know, just making, you know, what's traditionally the best choice or what is commonplace, the best choice may not be the best fit for you. So, you know, diving in and figuring out and answering maybe hard questions at the outset is, is a great place to start, I think. So you're kind of launching us into best practices. Let's let's back up just a little bit from there. Okay. And so let's before we get there, and, and I'm going to stick with you, Dave. Is and it it sounded like from your introduction that you've seen some some international expansions that haven't gone so well. Do you want to uh, talk about some of the challenges you've seen companies have as they uh, expand? Yeah. No. One of the biggest challenges for companies as they look to expand is you know, <clears throat> obviously there's not a global law system, right? There's different laws, there's different regulations, there's different considerations that need to be had for every jurisdiction, maybe root groups of countries, different individual countries. So oftentimes one of the biggest places we see companies fail is not appreciating or taking a full understanding of maybe the different, excuse me, different local jurisdiction, the laws and the different jurisdictions they're entering or understanding that just because things are, you know, that way in their home country, there may not be that way in the, in the country they're trying to enter. So for example, it, kind of an underpinning of patent law globally is once you disclose your idea to the public, whether that be in a printed publication, whether it be at a trade show, whether that be talking to a customer, a potential partner, that generally starts a clock for when you need to file your patent applications. When you know, in the US, for example, you have 12 months. So I disclose it tomorrow. I'll have 12 months from tomorrow to file my application. Other countries, there is no grace period. It's immediate. So not, for example, a big, big problem we see comes up all the time is somebody has disclosed their invention. They've gone and talked about it in the US, for example, and they haven't, they didn't file, they didn't, you know, now they want to file directly in Europe and that can't be done. And so that whole market, that whole segment of maybe protection in Europe that they could have protected if they had done it early on is now lost to them. So that that's really the, and it's hard, right? Because you can say, well, it's what they don't know. And that really comes to bite them. And how do you, you know, instruct somebody in what they don't know or teach somebody how to learn what they don't know? But or, yeah, or, 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 to, or to value it, I suppose, right? To yeah, exactly. uh, pri prioritize protecting that property before, I mean, I, I would imagine much of your work is 
remediative. In other words, people didn't anticipate that they needed it until they're sort of, they have a problem. And then, oh, exactly. and then yeah, and uh, especially in, in what you do, awful hard to sort of put the cat back in the bag and once it's out. Let, let's pop over to, to Wendy and, you know, communication, obviously, and, and Dave sort of led into this, is it sort of started with some marketing communication that was out there. You're dealing with companies and and how they present themselves in a variety of markets. Say, trying to say the same thing can probably be so much different, but there there must be some massive communication challenges that, that you see. Can you Do you want to uh, highlight some challenges that, that you see in terms of companies that are expanding? Oh, absolutely. I love talking about this. Can I start with some more statistics? <laughs> Please, this, this is this is your small segment. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, Common Sense Advisory, which is an industry think tank, did a bunch of research about whether, you know, basically is English the global language and how much can you get away with and do people want to read it? There was a great um, article in the Harvard Business Review that that summarized some of their statistics. And they said that nine out of 10 people would have given a choice, would rather search for something in their native language. So we're looking at bilingual people. They're always going to go to their native language. You know, 10% don't. Of those, almost three quarters of them are going to spend most of their time on websites in their native language. And they're more like in three quarters in those three quarters percent, I'm assuming they'd be the same, are more likely to buy if information is in their own language. And 56% said that they'd be willing to spend more money if the information was in their own language. So right here, this is telling you that you really need to consider in language marketing if you're going to connect with people. So the biggest mistakes I see is, number one, people saying, English is the global language, so I'm just going to market in English. The second biggest mistake I see is putting the Google Translate plugin on their website and thinking that that can do a good job. I just read an article from Sweden about their government that was, they used some poor translation service or machine translation. It was so poor, it ended up being a social media sensation. I think it's only a matter of time before a government gets sued because the information is not good, but you know, that's David's specialty. <laughs> and then number three, I would say is not using a professional translator. I've heard of distributors doing the translation. I've heard of internal employees. I've heard of you know, friends and family doing it. It seems like you're saving money, but by the time you add in the opportunity cost and the risks of making mistake, it's not a good idea. I think those people are really good to review a professional translation because they can give you if there's any specific industry or company terminology that you'd want to use. And then a good trans, a professional translator is going to keep archives and keep that consistency of voice. So, you know, you're not using dinner in one situation and supper in the other, where in the U.S. dinner and supper are used interchangeably. So those are my stats. Those are the biggest mistakes I see. Love it. Love it. Those are great. And we actually have a, a, a really good audience question. But before we do, Nina, I'm guessing you have seen uh, a few challenges that companies have. What, what would be a couple of highlights from, from you? Yeah, hundreds. I'd actually really like to echo and build on what Wendy, Wendy said, actually, in that translation is so super important. 
but translation is not everything when it comes to localization. So one of the biggest mistakes and challenges that I see is people, is companies who translate and think that's localized, we're done. And that that's absolutely not true. I mean, I've, I describe internationalization as walking the tightrope between scalability and localization. And on top of what Wendy said, there are numerous studies that have shown that the more you localize, the, the more that people buy, the average order value is higher, the frequency of purchasing is higher. So all of those statistics I can, I can support both anecdotally and from, from my own research. But to take, let's take one small detailed example of this. Let's say that you want to sell something for 10 dollars, euros, pounds, whatever, you want to sell something for 10 bucks. How do you actually show that? In some countries, you would say 10 pounds or 10, 10 currency. In some, you would show it as 9.99. In the UK, for example, in Germany, you might show it more as 9.95. In France, you would probably show it as 9.90. And so these are, it's a really tiny thing. But if you're going to, if I'm going to a website and I see something for like 9.93, like that's really weird. That makes no sense. That's clearly been done as a translation from whatever another currency is when it's just been exchanged. This is not how we round things here. And it just instantly puts that tiny bit of doubt in the consumer's mind that there is distance between the company and yourself because you're not seeing what you expect to see that's standard for your market. So having an understanding of these small little points of how the customers are going to interact with your product or your service and how they interact with the local ones is really important. So when you're looking at competitor analysis, for example, you shouldn't only look at the international competitors, but really look at the local ones because the local competitors are more likely to have built a product specific before that for that one market, especially if they haven't expanded yet. And so you're able to use a lot of their, I mean, data and, you know, their own flavor to be able to localize in a way that makes sense. That's very smart. No, that is excellent, Nina. Uh, thank you. So let's uh, take Joseph Muller's question here and I'll share it with the panel and, and one or two of you please chime in on this. So how do you think about international expansion different, I, differently in the new normal where international travel is not permitted or significantly limited and where has international expansion accelerated where is it decelerated so does anyone want to share kind of what you've seen in this sort of sort of hopefully temporary age of more limited travel in terms of international expansion what trends have you seen this is the interactive part i mean definitely saw a huge drop off last year in the number of companies that were expanding it wasn't a case of acceleration or deceleration. It was simply a case of, I don't know when I'm going to have enough money or I'm not sure what's going to happen in the economy to have enough buffer and make sure this is going to be successful. I don't know how the plans that I've laid apply in this scenario. So there was a lot of uncertainty. So there was simply a lot just not happening. It wasn't because of the travel restrictions predominantly in the cases that, that I was discussing. I work mainly with digital or tech-based startups and scale-ups for reference rather than regular exporters, let's say. So that has definitely changed. On the other hand, those that have expanded and have expanded since, I would say are generally doing it much quicker because they're not needing to be on the ground or they are not able to be on the ground. And that means that they're looking more for partnerships and other people that know what they're talking about 
and they seem to be a little bit more likely to to take advice because that advice is more easily accessible than it may have been in the past. And then they've decided actually, you know what, we don't want to risk it by doing it ourselves. Oh, we can have a quick Zoom call with XYZ. Let's let's do that. Cool. Good stuff. That was good insights. And Wendy, it sounded like you had something as well. Yeah, what I was gonna say is, you know, travel is certainly scaled off, but as people around the world are getting more used to Zoom, what I'm seeing is, is that they're still the, still there. And the ones that I see taking off the most are anybody that can go through e-commerce. So anything that can take the somebody through the buyer's journey to purchase online and what companies are doing are looking at their statistics of who's coming in and who's visiting and then being able to target those markets. So it goes back to those small companies that can really leverage the internet for doing it. The ones more so that are suffering that I see are, you know, extremely high touch countries that have said, as soon as this, you know, the shutdown or COVID is over, then why don't you fly out and we can meet about it? So high touch, high, you know, interactive sales cycle. Great observation. So Dave, I'm going to go to you with the kind of take us into the next topic area. And I'd, I'd um, encourage Yosef, uh, if that didn't fully answer your question, please, you know, when we get to the Q&A, just hop on and, and we can get more specific as well. But Dave, you know, as we, as you kind of let us into talking about some of the challenges from a, a legal standpoint, you know, what are some of the best practices when companies are thinking about internationalizing in terms of protecting their intellectual property? And, you know, when should they get started? How do they do it? All, all those types of things. Yeah, thanks, Bill. So, I mean, I already touched on it a little bit. I mean, the easy answer is the earlier, the better, right? So in a perfect world, we would be, you know, as a, as a intellectual property firm, we would start working with a company when they hadn't been public yet. They hadn't talked to anybody yet. They just had this great new idea or new brand or whatever it may be. And they talked to us and we set everything straight and we protect it before they go talk to everybody. I mean, that's not reality in most cases, those Companies need to raise money. They need to talk to people. They need to get their ducks in a row. They need to, if they're an existing company, kind of set us up, set us, set themselves up for success, like we already talked about. So it's it's not as easy as just saying no, no. Let's protect everything beforehand, right? So what I would say is though, you know, as early as you can, start thinking about not only you know I had mentioned patents and patents are patents are important. There's strict deadlines to file patents. But as I, you know, we hinted on at the beginning of the talk, you know, patents are not the end all be all, right? There's lots of other areas in intellectual property. There's lots of other areas of innovation and development that can be protected to help you protect your company as, as you expand. And there, just as there, there was when we were talking about patents, there are certainly downsides to waiting to protect those things as well. You know, one issue and one quick anecdote, which we see quite often is it doesn't really matter what country outside of China, for example, they're, you know, come up with a great brand. They've had great success as a company. Now they're looking to expand internationally, go into different places. Well, they go to try to record their trademark registration in China and lo and behold, what happens? It turns out a squatter has already registered their name because they were successful, turning into a successful global company. They've already registered and now they're coming to say, well, we'll let you have it if you pay us for their own for their own development, their own brand. And it's something that easily could have been avoided if early on in the process, 
that company had, you know, the, the, the US company or outside China company had protected their brand early on, but it was something they really wasn't on their mind. They thought, oh, we can do that later. And then, you know, it becomes quite costly for not doing a relatively simple task. And, you know, it's something that they just wasn't on their plate of things to do. It wasn't on their, you know, this is really important. We should do it now list. And so it got to kind of got pushed down the line until they were forced to do it uh, and forced to pay out of pocket for it later. Just a, a quick follow-up on that. So, because yeah. legal costs, as you, it's something you're very aware of, it's it's expensive generally in, in terms of sort of managing legal costs. So, how, do, how does a company decide and, and how do you help a company decide what things to prioritize now and, and what they can wait to do? Because, you know, obviously younger companies that are expanding, cash is... is, is yes, no, I mean, that's, that is the golden question, right? I mean, that's the, the question we're always asked is, you know, you know okay, well, what, what do we want to patent? What do we want to file for a patent on? Okay. What do we want? Where do we want to file a patent on? Okay. You know, these are all things that are very intensive questions, you know, for looking at the market, looking at what you have developed, you know, can you, is enforcing whatever you protect, whether it be patent, whether it be a trademark, you know, if you're thinking about expanding internationally, that's, that's great and wonderful. And you should think about protecting where you're going to be. Once you start having broader visions of, oh, well, we can protect it here too. And oh, our competitors are here too. And well, we might have some customers here too. You got to start getting down to like reality of, okay, well, that's all going to cost money. It's going to be money that, you know, you're going to have to keep doling out because those are the kind of things just, you know, typical government fees, they keep reoccurring and they come up every few years and you have to keep paying them. And also, what is the real benefit of what you're paying for? Are you going to go enforce a patent in, you know, halfway across the world and pay for a, a very expensive litigation to enforce it? Maybe, you know, for a lot of startups, no, you know, so in, it, it, the there's oftentimes things you have to do because there's the timeline you have to do. And there's other things you can set yourself up for success just by talking through them and realizing, okay, we know, you know, a couple of years from now, hope we will have the money to do this. What can we do now to protect ourselves so that down the line, we're not looking back thinking, oh, we should have done this. This would really would have been a lot easier if we had done it this way. Similarly, there's other, you know, not one, it's not a one size fits all kind of solution, right? I mean, Every company is different. Every company has its own unique circumstances, its own available cash. It's a, you know, investment situation is different. Their partnership with other organizations is different. So how do you kind of make those all work together to achieve goals that make sense based on the available funds, based on the time that's available and, you know, picking from all the different possibilities, whether it be patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trying to piece together you know, this is speaking from the IP side, but it really, I think is applicable to a lot of different areas, right? Making something that works for that company and then implementing. It. And I think it's, they're difficult questions to ask, but I think when you ask them early on and upfront, you at least, maybe you, you don't have the resources to do everything hundred percent like you want to do, but at least you're aware of it, right? At least, you know, okay, we're making this decision. These are going to be the consequences and now we can move forward. No, that's uh, perfect. And we'll, let's go. Let's go to Wendy and uh, get your thoughts, Wendy, in terms of best practices. What are the kind of key best practices that you see for companies that are expanding internationally? Well, I think you know, like David was saying, that you start with a, a strategy and know what you're looking at. If you know what your corporate strategy is for international expansion, then 
you can figure out what your multilingual strategy is going to be across, you know, all your different functional groups. So let me just take marketing because it's something I can boil it down to. You can apply it to HR and operations and finance and everything. But if you look at marketing, you have your, you have your strategic goals, then you've got your, your marketing strategy for the year, and then you have your, your global marketing strategy. And we have a flywheel that shows, you know, all the considerations that you do for your global marketing. But you don't have to jump in and translate everything. If you think about your buyer's journey from they don't know you all the way up to the close, what are those key touch points along the way? And what are what is the information they need in those spots? And then you can pick and choose what you translate to provide them. And you know, one often forgotten thing is the, the post-sale service. And people will not buy from you again if that material isn't translated. You know, so it's the, it's the same thing if you were going to look at HR and if we're going to hire and what we need to do to, to communicate all the, the way. So have a strategy, figure out the messaging that you need to do, develop a process, and then you can replicate that across the other languages that you're going to. I love what you just said about the post-sale information, because I would imagine for a lot of companies, that's like the last thing they think about, because all they want to do is how do we get customers? How do we generate revenue? And oh, yeah, we got to retain the customers. And if the customer gets whatever it is, whatever product or service, and, they, and it, it doesn't prove to have much utility because they haven't figured out how to use it. Yeah, that's so That's many brutal. easy ways to do it. I mean, there's right. telephone interpreting, which you pay by minute and you can dial in and get somebody on. There's chat bots. There's live chat that you can function with. There's your user right. manual. There's your website copy, the frequently asked questions. So there's so much that you can do to develop a relationship, even if you don't speak the language or hire people who speak the language. Makes, I love it. Makes total sense. Cool. So Nina, how about you? What, what, when you kind of boil kind of key best practices down, what, what comes to mind for you? Yep. The number one thing that I start with, with all my clients is set your goals, know what success looks like. And more importantly, know what failure looks like. So a lot of the times I work with people and they're like, Hey, what do you want to do? They're like, Oh, we want to expand to the States. We want to expand to Spain. Like, okay, great but what does that actually mean for you? So some people just want to be profitable in a market. Some people don't really care whether they do anything. They just want to be there for marketing or strategic reasons. Very common, it's I want to be number one in that market, but by what metric? By revenue, by number of users, by customer satisfaction. And what you're actually optimizing for is then gonna tell you how you spend your money and how you actually run the rest of your business. How you enter a market is going to look very different if you're aiming for number one in terms of um, brand awareness compared to profitability, right? Your marketing strategy then is going to look super different and your cost structures are going to be very different depending on what it is you're actually optimizing for. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of um, international expansions are deemed to be unsuccessful because they don't know what they're measuring against. And so this is something that's really important to work out what your goals are and to and to actually affect when to to act when you're not successful in that way i had one company whose goal was to be top three in every market they were in and it, they were in a super super competitive space and so they entered actually into the uk and they were growing they were doing really well they were profitable they were making revenue they were making money and they were not top three 
and they closed it down and they shut it and they left. And a lot of people were very surprised by this. It was like, well, you're making profit. You like, you're in the right direction. You're growing, come on. But from the competitive structure of that market, they were never gonna be top three. And so they weren't actually going to reach their goals and they'd identified this. So they shut it down and left. I was surprised too, because I really thought it through. And then it really did make sense. So really understand what those boundaries are and what it is you're optimizing for, because that's going to be how you actually become successful at that. It's so funny, Nina, you were talking about the different markets and the goals for going in, because I've heard so many different reasons as for why people enter markets. And some is as simple as the owner wants to have a vacation home in Italy or (laughs) somewhere in the Caribbean or, you know, that other times companies will pick a smaller company to iron out all the, the, the processes and figure out how to do it. Other times people will go into a larger company because they just want to win market share or, you know, customers. And I interviewed somebody on the global marketing show who they really did a deep dive strategy. She had a military background and they picked out which markets would make sense. And then I've heard people say, oh, well, I'm going to go into these countries because they speak English. But, you know, we've translated from American English to British English. So, you know, your, your goal setting reminded me of all the, you know, different reasons I've heard of people entering markets. Yep. And this location of houses is so true. I had one company who were wanting to set up in the U.S. and we're looking at where and they're like, yeah, we're probably going to do Miami. And this was like a hardcore tech SaaS product. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, why, why are you going to Miami? Because oh, I've got friends there and it's sunny. I'm like, good. <laughs> That's good for you. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure you want to really build your entire company strategy around the fact you have a few friends down on the south coast so yeah that was definitely a thing so really understanding those reasons and looking a bit deeper and poking a little bit deeper (laughs) definitely recommended that's cool well in in just a couple minutes i'm going to open us up to more audience questions feel free to certainly use the chat to submit but we'll we can open mics in just a couple minutes but i i do want to kind of get some general reaction from our panel to a couple things one is each of your responses to best practices for me anyway underscored why having trusted advisors is important why having partners in 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 market that can be your eyes and ears and be your advocate as needed is really important. But you three, you know, pretty early in in knowing each other have have created a pretty interesting bond. And and I think being on this podcast today together is is partly evidence of that. But you've also pretty been actively been communicating and and working together on your client's behalf. Does do any of you want to talk about just for a moment the importance of networks and partnerships as you're internationally expanding? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in for that, Bill. I mean, I think as we were hinting at earlier, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know a lot of times, right? And then even if you know it, how do you find answers or solutions to it? And a key to figuring, answering those questions and identifying information and how, you know, identifying problems and how to solve those problems is forming these networks um, and connections with people who have either been through it before or have their own networks and connections to connect you to the right people where you can flush these ideas out, either with people who have been through the process before. So they say, oh, you don't, you definitely don't want to do that if you're going in this country or um, no, make sure you do it this way or don't forget to do ABC, right? Things maybe you don't even know you need to do. 
but by building these connections and these strong bonds with people that you trust, right? It all comes down to trust. And if I say, oh, this is a great, I'm not sure the answer to this, but I know Wendy is the answer. I know Nina has the answer. I know Bill is the answer, but I trust you all to have the answer and have the client's best interest. It all comes down to building those relationships, building those networks so that you have people that you trust in groups that you trust to, to collaborate with, bounce ideas off of. And I, I think it makes, you know, expanding, you know, as, as beneficial as when he was pointing it out, it is difficult, right? And to be doing it successfully is difficult as in most things in business. And so having these people and connections to build on is I think imperative. And I can add in there is there's so many resources out there to support governments who want to export. So you, you start with the US federal government, our balance of trade is so far off that they offer grants and free uh, consulting through the Department of Commerce. You go to the states like Meredith Bond is with Nebraska. There's a whole organization of a bunch of states that are together and everybody who's in there is just passionate about helping companies export. You look at Softland Partners, which you run, Bill, you, you, just today you launched the readiness checklist that you put together with a group of people that all specialize in international trade across all the different areas you need to think about. That's got, how many chapters are you up to now? 22 chapters around the world. So any member there can access, you know, somebody anywhere to get answers for a country. I'm also in another group called the International Executive Resource Group, where people who have been executives internationally, and they're supporting each other and continually learning from each other. So it's just a passionate group of people that want to help companies export. And everyone knows each other, <laughs> at least somewhere, right? So the thing is that if you work with a trusted advisor, you, you find one, but then you find you actually have access to 300 of them because we're all you know connected and we do all know each other. And it generally just makes everything both quicker and cheaper. The number of people that are like, no, I can do it myself. I don't want to pay for an expert. And it's like, okay, fine. But if you mess it up, you've spent a hundred grand and you, you, you know, you spent a hundred grand and it's probably not going to work or like there's a, generally spend a little bit of money and increasing your chances of success, you know, tenfold. It's the, the maths just, just <clears throat> add up. It's actually works out to be much cheaper because we also know how to get things done cheaper and quicker and your time to market is reduced. Fantastic. Well, and, and probably a lot more reliably too. Uh, it's one thing doing something for your first time and another thing doing it for your hundredth. And, you know, as you were, each of you were talking, it made me reflect a little bit. A year ago, we did a, we had a virtual expo that part of it was having successful entrepreneurs who had expanded globally share their story. We did sort of 15 minute case studies and had several of them. But the number one thing that each of them said was the main reason for their success as they expanded internationally were the networks that they developed in the new regions where they expand to be at the support organizations and the professionals who could help them and, and developing those networks was, was number one. And that was, you know, actually really interesting and, and completely unsolicited. So it was, it was great to hear that, that reinforcement. Wendy, you kind of led us into talking about tools and I know we wanted to spend just a minute on the uh, readiness checklist, the universal internationalization readiness checklist. Does anyone want to sort of share a little bit of that story in terms of the development? I think you should. 
<laughs> uh, this isn't this isn't my show. I just, uh, just I'm just here to guide. But you're the person we thank for bringing us all together and expanding our network. So yes, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on it. Sure. Oh, well, I, I'll share a minute, and then then you guys share. But so yeah, we we Softland Partners has been around for two years, and our only the only thing we're trying to solve is helping companies connect to the resources that help them expand internationally. And, and we kind of have a couple of litmus there. One is obviously there needs to be strong competence. And number two is there needs to be strong ethics in terms of the support that's uh, delivered. And so it's been a part of our mission since the beginning to provide tools as well as that network. And, and we just, through the network, uh, spent the last, I don't know, four, maybe six months working together in work groups to develop a what we think is a very comprehensive universal internationalization readiness checklist. And it ideally incorporates all the various disciplines and perspectives. The, the idea though, is that it's agnostic to region. So coming from or going to any country or, or region, it's agnostic to industry and it's also agnostic to company stage. As we go forward and with your feedback, we may develop additional versions of it that address certain from certain regions to other regions or within industries or certain company stages but the idea was to first get this tool out get it used and and go from there and it's available i'll share a web page it's available both in a pdf format and in a digital format and it's open source so we encourage uh you to steal it and use it again our the only thing we care about is helping companies, if companies use it through our website, we'll use that as a basis to help them make connections that are meaningful to fill the gaps. But that's really, that's really it in a nutshell. But I know each of you is involved in adding your ideas and, and, and also a proofing and whatnot, but any, anything else anyone wants to add on it? I would say, I think it's just, you know, again, it's a great tool to help identify maybe not even answer, at least identify areas that should be focused on and maybe flag things that you, you know, if you're thinking about expanding that you maybe weren't thinking about before. And the, the, with the, with that as the, the goal, kind of just getting information flowing and thinking about it, I think it's a great tool, especially, you know, for focusing what Nina was saying about identifying the goals, right? I mean, it's all goal oriented where all the decisions should be made to achieve those goals, not just because things are being done for the sake of doing them, not for, just because that's what other people do. But, you know, when you make decisions towards those goals with this things, tools like this checklist to help you, you know, you should be comfortable making those decisions and, and think, and, you know, so you, you can justify it look, and you look forward and backward and say, yeah, no, that was the right call. Whether it works out or not might be a different situation, but, you know, at least you are making informed um, decisions moving forward. So I think it's a great tool. Cool. Yeah, we, I didn't, we, I don't know as a group, we anticipated the goal being the house in Italy, but we should incorporate that into version two. Maybe, <laughs> you know, where do you want the summer home? <laughs> that's, that's, we'll progress to that at some point. Um, any, any other comments on the readiness checklist? Yeah, I thought it was a, a great work of teamwork and I'm so glad that you um, led the charge to get the resource out there. Thank you. Yeah. Easy, easy enough. Well, good. And to our audience, uh, please, you know, again, feel free to use it as you see fit and uh, hopefully it supports your work in some way and, and your goals. But and, and please give us 
any feedback. We know it's version one, probably a, a few different versions. So um, glad to continue to evolve it. So let's let's open this up to our audience. P please feel free to unmute and come on screen if you like and share any questions you have. Certainly we'd be glad, glad to get into any conversation here, but I'll be quiet here for a moment. Feel free to unmute. I'm not seeing any unmuting here. If that if you don't unmute, I'm just going to keep asking questions. So, I'll uh, unmute. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Meredith. Go for it. Well, awesome. I'm I'm with the U.S. Commercial Service, so I'm with the federal agency that is the export export cheerleading society, and I feel like I'm in the choir. And you've been preaching to me for you know the past 50 minutes. I I think everything you I think I've agreed with everything everyone has said there are so many resources out there you know certainly beyond us obviously um, that there are groups and volunteer trade clubs they they want to help companies get into international business for all the reasons that Wendy mentioned it makes you more successful and stable and kind of evens out your selling cycle and certainly to do it in a smart way have a plan you know build your network so I think this has been a great resource. I love the readiness checklist. I know SBA, the Small Business Administration, used to have one, but it got kind of junky and big. So this probably is a lot more streamlined, but asks a lot of the same questions that, that I think companies need to think about. So thank you all. Thanks, Meredith. And, and we'd love your feedback uh, as you have a chance to take a look at the, the readiness assessment. And then Definitely. certainly any way we can support your work, you know, please let us know. I, I, as soon as you introduce yourself, says, oh, I'm here from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> With some clients, that takes me about 20 years for them to actually believe it. So I finally reached the point where some of them believe me. Well, that's, you know, we, we, some just take longer than others, right? That's all. Right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's brilliant. Looks like we have a question from Akshay. Yeah, let's uh, take this on. Are the terms internationalization and globalization related? Who wants to uh, attack that? Wendy, our, 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 our word person. Uh, Wendy, do you want to internationalization and globalization and, and spell the English way? Yeah. How uh, do you want yeah. to? Uh, okay. So this is, a, this is an interesting and a good question. So if you take it into, okay, I'm going to take this into the translation and then I'm going to take it into the more global strategy and then ask Nita to pipe in afterwards because she might have a different uh, definition. So in translation, we tend to use globalization and localization. And localization is where you're really using the local language and culture, like Nina was talking about earlier, about how you price something, you know, what currency you're going to put it in, you know, what sports figures or actors or local people you're going to have in the picture. So that's localized globalization is using one good translation that might go across the world. So, you know, Spanish can be used in Argentina, Spain, you know, Paraguay, whatever, you know, in the U.S., because we have the second largest Spanish speaking people in the world in this country, second only to Mexico. So you have localization and globalization. And it's not as easy as saying consumer products are localized and industrial products are globalized because it, it, you can cross over and then you can take budget into account. OK, now I've heard globalization and kind of multinationalism where a company is going to have a globalization is where you're going to have your global brand 
and a strategy and it's more corporate driven, whereas multinational is, would be more that you're opening pockets in different countries around the world and they're operating very differently. I think that might have been a good idea or more frequently used in the past, but now because of the internet, so much more is globalizing. You have to be careful if you're running differently in different countries because you're really going to consume, you're going to confuse your brand message. So international and globalization, do you have another take on that, Nina? Yeah, you know what, I've been thinking about this the whole time you've been speaking and because I I probably wouldn't ever use the term globalization when it comes to international expansion. I would consider it more of a, an economic term rather than a business one. And so I probably would never use it in this context. And I'm trying to articulate why, and I can't, uh, is, the, is the honest answer to this. I'm finding that a little bit difficult to, to do, actually. My um, guess would be is that you never go global all at once. You're knocking off a country at a time. So you're going international towards each country. Jein. Um, Jein is the German word, the German word that means yes and no. Um, I think that when the podcast, that was your favorite words. foreign word. So, yeah, I mean, for me, in, I mean, academically, internationalization is the act of selling into more than one country and sometimes having a certain percentage of your revenue coming from additional countries. So that's like an academic definition of internationalization. And it's the problem actually that we have is that everybody uses internationalization in a slightly different way. I mean, I describe internationalization as a process. So I don't really think about it in terms of then selling into multiple countries. I really think about it in the terms of adaptation or changing things from your default, a potentially local or original way to make it suitable for international markets, whether that's an international market or multiple international markets. For me, it's a very active word and the art of changing to make it suitable for multiple markets. Globalization, I I don't really think of it that way. I think of it as more of a, almost a negative economic term <laughs> in many ways. It's sort of a lowest common denominator scenario, scenario when it comes to this adaptation thing. I don't know, I would never use two together, but I think that might be me rather than anything else. Well, hopefully that answers Akshay's question. We appreciate it for sure. But are there any other questions we can help address? Feel free to unmute if you have another question. Question for David. And, you know, so if anybody else, certainly come on. But I always... I do see people picking markets to go into depending on the language. I was wondering if anybody ever picked a country to go into because of the laws. Um, I'm sure that that does play a role. I would say it's not like usually the overarching reason behind it. I would say it certainly would be a reason not to go in somewhere, especially if we're talking about, especially on like the patent side, we're talking about technology, different countries treat different tech, different tech spaces differently. So software in one country can be treated very favorably, favorably while in other countries is not, right? So you may file and in, in pick certain countries because you think you're, you're gonna have a good chance of getting a patent on your software related technology. In other countries, you might say, it's really not worth it. Um, we're just gonna be battling and just to spend a lot of money on being rejected anyway. So let's not, let's not uh, waste the, the resources. Another area we see, you know, 
it's it's not so much a choice, but there's oftentimes requirements from where you in the, on the patent side where you have to file first. So many countries have restrictions on technology developed within their borders, whether whether that be defined where the technology is located or where the inventors are citizens or where their residences their residency is. Different countries define it differently, but a, a large number of countries say if there's an invention invented in our borders, you must file here first or get permission from us to go abroad first. And that is an area that is that is oftentimes missed and people find it very surprising. And the penalties can be quite severe in that you won't be able to get a, you know, this could be very bad business-wise. You won't be able to get a patent in that, in that local home jurisdiction if you ever want to. But more often than not, there's also criminal penalties assigned with that as well. So there can be monetary and jail time assigned with sending your invention outside. The theory is, you know, they're trying to limit the disclosure of inventions that could be important to national defense, usually nuclear power, that sort of thing. Some countries limit it. So they say, okay, as long as it's not related to that, you're okay. Other ones, because they don't want you making the decision on what's important to the government, they put a broad net around all of it saying everything must be uh, just filed here first, or we must receive permission. So, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I'm sensitive to we're coming to the end of the hour here, and some people probably have places to go. But before we uh, uh, close up, I'd love just uh, any final comment, encouragement, kind of rule of internationalization that you find really compelling. 30 seconds, I'll kind of hit each of you, and then we'll we'll get things closed up. But Nina, when, when you think about, you know, kind of the the real big rock of, of internationalization and what makes companies successful, what, what comes to mind for you? Set your goals. That is always my thing. Set your goals. Yeah. That is, no, the number one thing to make successful. And also, I mean, have plan A, B, and C, but like really have to throw it all at, at plan A as much as you can. A lot of people like to dip their toe in and see. And if your competitors are going all in, you're going to be left behind. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Nina. And Wendy. Hey, yes, I had a brilliant. Oh, I know what it was. The reoccurring theme in the global marketing show podcast that I host is to stay cured because if you worry about language and culture and, you know, success and all of that too much, or you try to do it too much the American way that can sink you. But if you just stay curious about what you're doing, you can build those relationships and that will uh, lead to your success. I love it. I hear and talk about ego a lot. And I think curious and ego have a lot to do with each other. So I, I love that very much. Mm -hmm. uh, David, how about you? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of restating here for me and to further Nina's point, I mean, set your goals and make decisions that are specifically tailored to your business to achieve those goals. And to do that, it really requires a holistic view of your company, your business, where you currently are, where you where you want to be, how to get there. And don't, you know, it, you may be taking a common majority view on things, but that does always not is not necessarily the right answer all the time. So do things that are right for you and your business. Fantastic. Oh, this has been excellent. I, each of you has, uh, I think, contributed an incredible amount to this discussion. Uh, you know, thank you, Nina. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Dave. And thank you to our audience. We're going to have all of the contact information in the discussion area or in the uh, description area in, in YouTube. But please, you know, make sure you like, subscribe, 
and connect with these fine folks offline. But Nina, is the best way to connect with you through LinkedIn, through your website? Yep. LinkedIn, absolutely. LinkedIn, Wendy. <laughs> okay, Wendy, any preferred? LinkedIn's fabulous. I'm on there all the time. So Wendy, excellent translation expert. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Dave, any any preferred mode? Anyway, LinkedIn's fine. Email drockio at lalaw.com. Cool. Awesome. And again, we'll put that contact info in the description. Thank each of you. Thanks to our audience. It's been great to see you all today. Thank you so much for being a host with the most. You guys are too kind. All right. Enjoy your day, everybody. Nina, have a great evening. Anyone from uh, outside the U.S., have a great uh, rest of your day. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.